Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Her aspera ad astra is over. It's tickle time.
Понесли на созданный убивать. У человека должен быть дом. Как всякое благо, оно может обернуться во зло. Непостижимо. Ужасно. Кто ты? Сейчас решается судьба всей планеты. Andy, I was wondering, if I'm a guy, yeah, you know, I, I, we watch a lot of movies around these parts, and I just, I'm asunder with with one sheets and tear sheets, and, and I don't know how to catalog all of my sticky notes of reviews that I mm. do of the movies that I watch. What should I do? What should I do with these sticky notes, Andy? Well, Pete, we have an answer for you over at The Next Reel. All you need to do is go to thenextreel.com slash letterboxed. That's right, letterboxed. And you can sign up for a letterboxed uh, pro or patron membership at a discounted price because we love letterboxed and they love us. And you can jump in there and start entering all those reviews into your own Letterboxd account. And you can track them and you can catalog them and you can read other people's reviews and like their reviews and comment on their reviews and they can do the same to yours. It's fantastic. Andy, I'm looking at the page right now and you know who's right on top staring at me with those cold steel ancient eyes? Max von Sydow? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, okay. As John Wick. He's getting fitted for a suit and I kind of feel like that's what I'd be getting if I were to sign up for Letterboxd. For the pro account, you can get it for $15 for one year. And if you sign up for a patron account, you get it for $39 for one year. And it even has a little note. If you go to that URL, it says, your next real discount has been applied. You may now purchase or renew if your subscription expires in the next 90 days for this renewed discounted price. It's an incredible deal. We love Letterboxd and we have all of our films in Letterboxd. So uh, hang out there with us. Nextreel.com slash Letterboxd. Andy, uh, this is, there's a lot of movie in this movie. <laughs> yes, there is. Ad, ad Astra, per Aspera Ad Astra. Through the Thorns to the Stars. That's pretty good, right? Through the thorns. That's one that I, I feel like maybe we talked about, maybe we heard it's it's a, a lot of the translations end up with to the stars by the hard ways, which sounds like a, a sort of just transliteral of of the Latin. But uh, I like through the thorns to the stars. That's got some poetry to it. I read a bunch of them at the end of last week's episode that uh, yeah. somebody over on Letterboxd that posted in the review all the different variations of the name because there are quite a few but i do think yeah. uh through the th through the thorns to the stars or through adversity to the stars is another one that i i liked um i think yeah, it, it, it doesn't I mean, have that it doesn't have that pushkin like father of of russian literature kind of yen to it you know like it's yeah. got poetry 
yeah. through the thorns to the stars. But what I didn't realize is this is actually a very popular Latin phrase. Like I just, I, I'd <laughs> right? only heard, I'd only right. heard the ad astra part. I mean, apparently I have heard it before because it's a line that has been said in films and stuff like that. It's just something that I apparently um, uh, miss a little bit, or they say it, and I'm not exactly sure uh, yeah, what it means. Right. But like in The Martian, the film The Martian that we talked about over in the film board, um, that is actually on the floor in some lecture hall as a part of the logo. Right. Um, it's an. It's just. It's a very common phrase. It's the motto for Starfleet, Andy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. It's a, it, if it's not that, it's the Morristown Beard School in Morristown, New Jersey. It's the Kansas State motto. Of course, I'm talking about Ad Astra per Aspera. They, they flip-flop it. A, yeah, a it goes bit, either way. The, yeah. the Wikipedia page is legion of, of all of the various uses of Ad Astra. And don't forget that hit film with Brad Pitt, Sad Dad Astra. Uh, which is yet another variant. I stole that from Tommy. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's I, I love that joke. And um, yeah, so this is a movie that is it puts our uh, our group of spacefaring uh, humans, uh, Soviet good Soviets flying through space. They discover a, um, a derelict spacecraft and on it a bunch of dead clones and one that's not. And they rescue her. And bring her down. And that is the start of Paraspera Ad Astra through the Thorns to the Stars. How did this movie hit you in our in our series of, of Soviet sci-fi films? It's an interesting one. I'm glad I watched it. I don't think I liked it. I I, I found hmm. some interesting elements within the film. The way that it was constructed sometimes just didn't work that well for me. But I enjoyed the overall vibe that the film has so you enjoy the vibe what is it can you characterize what it is you don't like about it i just don't think the story it just was kind of a a little sloppy in its construction i didn't feel it was as cohesive as it should have been it feels very um bifurcated in the in the sections of the film and you, you I, might even you say know. trifurcated <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it is actually just two parts in the original edit yeah. of the film, which is two and a half hours, where it actually has part one, which is largely the story of Nia on Earth. And part two is kind of going back to her home planet and dealing with that. And it's just, uh, but I, I feel like it's, I, I didn't feel as much sense of real reason for the first half of the story unfortunately it just feels like where are we going with this why is this why are we in this realm for such a long time before we start exploring the second half of the story and so i just i just felt like the story the script writing was was clunky it's kind of an interesting story i thought the world was kind of an odd little weirdly retro 50s sci-fi sort of feel even though it it was just I think just low budget Russian because they didn't have the money. So I, I, I don't know. I found it to be interesting. I just didn't, uh, it, it didn't strike me as, as successful as our last film from last week. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right with you. And I'm, I was curious how you would characterize what, where the film sort of falls apart for me. It is a long, um, sort of 
degradation of pace and plot and emotion from the beginning to the end. And I really like where it starts. I love that we find this this alien clone. I I love I actually really enjoy the stuff at their house. I think it's fun and funny and and um I, I think there's an interesting there's an interesting fish out of water story that they're telling there. And then it becomes it it unravels into a hyper emotional interstellar by the end where like it's just this this kind of weird environmental destruction we're destroying the planet uh kind of um uh just movie that's that's just trying to to shake us but i don't think the technology and the performances and certainly the costume design can live up to the the story that they wanted to tell at the end of the movie and so it just sort of falls apart and becomes kind of ranty and uh I don't I don't like it anymore it's like I just find myself falling out of love with the movie every successive minute yeah. um it it is super easy to lampoon there are a lot of fun uh like funny things that make it a great target for something like mystery science theater 3000 which is which has uh actually done a variant of this movie on it and yeah. in that context, this movie's low hanging fruit, right? There are some things in here that are delightful. Yeah, they did a version, uh, I think it was called Humanoid Girl, which yeah. had been cut down, or Humanoid Woman, it had been cut down by almost an hour. So that leaves it, uh, depending on which cut they took it from, either an hour and a half or, or um, an hour length so it's, yeah. it would be a very for, short version and it was dubbed in english so i can imagine with some of the looney tunes-esque elements of the story and the way some of the things happen yeah. i can see it being a very easy film to like you were saying to lampoon yeah yeah i think so uh and, and is there any story left at that point and which story are they focusing on is it the time on earth or is it the time going back to dessa so, I don't yeah. know. It'd be it'd be easy to go either way. <laughs> I, they have to be on Tessa, man, because then we then we get tickle time. <laughs> you don't want to kind of, you know, the mystery science theater was going to want to talk about tickle time. <laughs> They're using tickle time for sure. All right. <laughs> well, before we get to tickle time, um, <laughs> what should we talk about? You know, I I think it's interesting as an initial element to talk about this being part of our science fiction, Russian or Soviet science fiction series, and the idea that Soviets were using science fiction as a way to kind of get some uh, either social commentary, political commentary, or perhaps getting across some of the communist and Soviet ideologies of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, what were you getting out of this as far as kind of the the feel for that? Did it feel like like our our filmmakers here, uh, headed by uh, Richard Viktorov, who is directing it, and Kir Bulichov, who wrote the original source material, do you feel like they were kind of more pro-Soviet ideology and were kind of using this to kind of promote the that kind of view of the world? Or do you feel like they were making more commentary on it? It's a little bit tricky to talk about because I, I think there are a number of things around like uh, sort of ideological integration, certainly integration of the 
um, of of the outsider. This is another movie that sort of leverages on some of the things we talked about last week. Um, with you know, how do you how do you handle alien beings, alien creatures? Um, this is a movie that sort of celebrates that, right? We have the benevolent scientist who brings this alien clone into his home, and they sort of adopt her and teach her, and she develops a relationship with his son, and uh, they learn about her. It's a movie that that um, uh, focuses uh, not a little bit on uh, this the sort of mind control, that sort of authoritarian mind control, and what can we do to free Nia from um, you know having this brain controlling device in her head and turning off the signal and freeing her, liberating her to live her authentic life. Right, this is all stuff that is reflecting on the authoritarian, the Soviet state, and uh, certainly a, a critique of it. The fact that they made the villain a capitalist little person is right in the sweet spot of right commentary anti-soviet commentary right they that that is a um that is a uh sort of anathema to you know everything that they that they stood for so i think he's definitely making some some strong critiques by just you know how he talks about some of these science fiction elements that that you 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 know with the gift of hindsight you'd you we we see how the the state can be sort of transposed on top of this movie and see where those critiques are but i could totally see watching this movie in 1981 and and maybe just getting kind of lost in it right not not actually noticing uh some of those those more stringent critiques i don't know what you get out of it as i was looking at this film i was like i couldn't help but feel like my experience with uh kind of that whole idea of of the propaganda of the soviet ideologies and the the commentary of those i i feel like i was not as prepared for perhaps with this series as i could have been like as i looked at it and as i was reading i, I mean looking at the wikipedia page about uh, soviet union propaganda does give me some sense of of what they were saying why they were saying it i mean i know some of the basics and stuff like that but i mean there are a lot of elements that they're talking about and i was like okay so what i i definitely think that the kind of the capitalist nature of of uh uh, the the villain in our film was one of the elements that likely they were poking at, but also I think the idea of allowing for kind of this this uh, this peace loving view of this keeping keeping the environment healthy and all this stuff was stuff that they were trying to promote, even if they weren't necessarily doing that. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that there are some interesting elements within this film that uh, but I don't think they're very overt. You know, I, I feel like in this in the case of this particular film, it's 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 minimal. And what's interesting, and I, maybe this is a, a good time to talk about the different edits of this film, because the longer version of this is is two and a half hours. And then the director's son uh, in 2001, actually restored it. He redid some of the special effects, remixed all the audio, had some some of the original actors come back to do some ADR to kind of clean up the lines and everything. But he also cut 25 minutes out of the film. A lot of it was to speed up the story, but also it says to excise some Soviet ideological context. I uh, I ended up watching both versions of the film side by oh, side. Andy. Well, no, oh, I watched Andy. them side by side, and I would run them simultaneously, and then 
I would see, okay, well, this, you know, I mean, and I will say a lot of it was just shortening of scenes. There was a lot of, because I mean, there were some scenes where in the, in the shorter version, you, it shows Naya walking up some stairs, um, like a long set of stairs, and you just catch her at the very end of it as she's getting to the top. In the long version, like you watch the entire thing of her walking from the bottom okay. all the way to the top. Like there's a lot of those little things. But uh, the context that, and I guess this was my issue, is like the the actual conversations that they excised. In my head, I'm like, well, I didn't think that was Soviet ideologies. Maybe I just missed it. And so, I I don't know. I I enjoyed the long version. It was fine. But I didn't feel like it had a whole bunch of overt kind of promotion of anything. So I guess that's that's something that I read about. And it just, it surprised me that I didn't think that there was that much in it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I'm I am just so peripherally a student of like that era of Soviet ideological, you know, the Soviet ideological state that that I it's hard to comment on it. There are some things that seem uh pretty pretty obvious. I think that the mind control chip is is the one and the fact that the entire movie like ends on the separation of these two characters, her free to live the life at, you know, and help her people and him going back to you know wherever he's going, um, they they cannot end happily, right? They they don't end up together. It's not a a relationship movie. It's a service to the people movie. Yeah, so right. I, I think there is there's there is certainly something to the conflict that exists between recognizing that there's there might be something to this whole communist notion and the authoritarianism of the Soviet state that the filmmakers sort of exist between, right? You can feel they're sort of pulled between these these two things that that makes it a challenge, a challenge to make art about it, a challenge to think about it, talk about it, and um, and uh, move forward through it. I I found myself really kind of connecting most with the doctor in the beginning and the you know his house and and his connection to other doctor. I guess was that his wife or friend or sister or something oh yeah no his it wasn't his wife no it was just it was uh, no, another it, doctor yeah another doctor right who ended the one up who on wanted the to do the brain yeah. work you mean yeah, yeah. Wanted to do the brain work like i the the whole like um performative aspect of intelligentsia right of the intellectual state the science state that's something that clearly is is you know celebrated by yeah. uh you know in this film and um but at the same time they're welcoming in this alien creature which is something that's generally not celebrated right it's this embr- it's the same thing we talked about last week right we we fear the the aliens and then at the end of the movie he destroys the greatest you know uh discovery of mankind he destroys it in favor of the conflict that he's dealing with with the state that's that's kind of where we where we live it's a, like walking this fine line between this movie Although, did you feel like Stepan was perhaps a representative of the Soviet ideology because he was trying to, I don't know if this is the right word, but convert her to his way of thinking by by kind of teaching her, well, this is the way, this is the way, like, um, you know, the, the way that you do things. Uh, I was thinking that maybe that's what they were saying with some of that. Well, that's kind of what I mean, though, because in the end, it ends sourly. He's trying to convert her to do these things that are good for the people. But then she goes and does it for Dessa, right? Isn't she kind of doing the same thing? 
Isn't she living the representative, you know, life for her people? Yeah, but I guess in my head, I was thinking maybe that's just a way to kind of, you know, say we're it's it's the spread of that ideology, right? Like they're yeah. it's not like they're not staying together. It's like now it's a proselytizing the, agent. Right? Exactly. Like, right. Yeah. Now we've made this planet clean. <laughs> right. <laughs> you've come in and <laughs> The little poltergeist lady. This planet yeah, is clean. Yeah, I was just thinking, this planet is clean. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I, I can see that. I can see that. So I, I think that's where the movie is. Is uh, Maybe if I were a, a better student of Soviet history, it would be even more interesting to watch, I'm sure. Yeah. But even so, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a, uh, you know, it, it's in service of the story that they're trying to tell. I thought it was interesting even if I'm not going to go back and watch this movie again. Yeah, there were some interesting elements in the film, and it was told in an interesting way. I just, I I wish that the script had been stronger and a little more cohesive from start to finish. Like, there are cohesive elements in the first half, in the second half. I just, I, I wanted things to tie together more strongly. Like, I didn't even realize by the time they're leaving earth to go off like she'd already spent a year of time on earth and i'm like well what has she learned like i didn't feel like there had been any sense of growth for her by the time all of a sudden she was going to leave well andy she learned russian <laughs> something <laughs> yes all right she learned russian and she uh, learn, learned how to not be so afraid of the grass. I'm kind of surprised all of the natives of Dessa didn't teach her Russian because they speak it very well. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, a, another quick note that I thought was interesting that apparently was excised in the script, the end title in the credits uh, apparently meant to have said all the scenes of the dying planet Dessa were shot at the territory of the Soviet Union. Now, apparently that had been censored out, and I'm assuming it's because they didn't want to emphasize the fact that, like, as I was saying, they wanted to get across the idea that this was, like, they were pro-nature. They were uh, pro-taking care of the planet, even if they weren't necessarily always doing that, so they cut it out. Now, in the versions that I saw, both of them had at the end, all the scenes of the dying planet Dessa were shot uh, on the Earth, which takes a little bit <laughs> of of the message out. Um, yeah. So I don't think they quite got that right still. I would love to have seen it, say, in the Soviet Union as a way to kind of uh, emphasize the fact that, you know, this, yeah, we haven't done that great of a job with all of this. Well, I get that. I, I still found it kind of moving, right? I found that the planet Earth bit, since it's a movie about, you know, alien clones from another planet, um, you know, I it, it's the the take care of what you got. Yeah. Folks story. And um it's Star Trek Nemesis, man. I it works. It works. It's really... just in the context of Soviet ideology, that's actually an interesting change that yes. they made. Yeah, I think so too. But I but it does get to the the institutional fear of you know, judge external judgment. Like you're not going to look at us and think that we've done something foolish. Everything we do will be presented brilliantly. What I love about this is like when I saw that that's how it was, I'm like, oh, this is like Chernobyl. Like it's that same mentality that they had, you know, covering that. Did you, did they ever make, did you ever see that they they were making a Chernobyl response to the Chernobyl, HBO Chernobyl that 
we no, had. No, and it, it was didn't. Yeah, that was that was the the news that came out of the Russian entertainment industry and apparently the the cause of it all was an agent of the CIA. That was that was going to be a twist. Don't worry, the CIA did it. We're fine. Yeah. If it weren't for that pesky CIA. Oh jeez. That's kind of what it what this movie I, it's made me think about, right? Like if it it's it, like at, at what point does each party take responsibility for? Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is like it, we it, some of the ideological stuff, it, especially in the third act is we're on Dessa the that could have been in the annals of history will teach us nothing that could have been written in 1945 and it could have been written in 2020 right yeah. the way the people of dessa do not trust science at their own peril right they are they're they're poisoning their own water supply for capitalist uh purposes yeah, uh, right. and to to prove that that uh, you know prove in heavy air quotes that that the foreigners are are coming in to to destroy what we've got all in an effort to you know to help to cure to cleanse right right controlling the media controlling the yeah. the word that gets out to the people about how how bad these these earth beings are and what and right. that they're really the ones who are meant uh, are coming here to destroy our way of being see here's the thing i think this movie could have been and and i guess this is to your point about watching the whole two-parter i think this would have been a more successful movie if it were so so much tighter had it started with the rescue of the clone and gone straight to their travel to dessa like compress the entire bit on the planet on earth and get us to the the sort of machinations of capitalism versus you know socialism uh or communism at the end uh in the last part of the film that could have been a nice tight movie right it could have been really fun to watch that stuff those were some of the mechanics that i thought started to fall apart in comparison to the to what we had in the beginning that was assured and confident and clean and i don't think we need both of those i think this story of nia you know learning who she is and going back home can be told on the spaceship traveling to dessa and and actually getting there i think it's just too much movie yeah i mean by the time we're watching the robot cleaning up the watermelon and things like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is like, what is this journey that I'm on with this movie? It's just, it's going down some slow paths that aren't necessarily, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. They're, we're exploring some of the individualism and stuff, like when Nia's trying on wigs and stuff, but I'm just like, it's not getting me to the story and right. it takes so much time. I mean, it, it was enjoyable. Watching her on Earth was kind of fun, but I'm just like, I don't know where I'm going with this. And that's what was driving me nuts with the film. Yeah, I mean, it could have been, that could have been the movie, right? It's her story integrating into you know, modern 1981 Soviet culture or whatever the future yeah. Soviet culture. Uh, and it could have been kind of a, the Soviet take on Bicentennial Man. You know what I mean? Like it could have yeah. just been learning, that movie. Learning the difference between being a robot yeah. or being human. Yep. Yeah. Which would have been fine too. And that seemed to be what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, it's like she, she I, I don't know, I guess she goes to this Aztec temple. Is that where they were? I wasn't quite clear. She has like a vision of her quote dad and uh, starts kind of seeing these things that bring her back to more about her people. And then she 
she sees the uh i don't know the ambassador from dessa who's here to get help and and that mm-hmm. kind of spurs on her stowing away on their ship and the rest of the story but it just it it i don't know i guess i just i was trying to figure out what they were doing and it just it just took a while well and and there are some sloppy mechanics too like around the 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 machine that controls her brain center yeah. Like the way I understand it, and I did not understand this when I watched the movie, but only when I read the Wikipedia summary of the film after, that it was actually the brain control device that had triggered her to teleport onto the Astra right. without uh, the space to. That was unclear watching the movie for me. And sometimes it's. Yeah. I thought she just really wanted to go. And so, like, like busted so bad. Through, yeah. Like, she busted through the window and just <laughs> right. ran right over. <laughs> That was it. There are a number of those kinds of things that happen in the movie that are are sort of deus ex machina, like it just happens. But clearly the intention, you know, when going back to source material was that that was that was specified. And I think some of it is uh, this weird sort of retro um, science fiction uh, fallback that we get into where they, 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 you know, do all sorts of color changes and quick edits and flashes to other times and things that we're supposed to interpret as this is being done by this machine. But in fact, it, it does not telegraph that way on, on screen. It doesn't work. It's, I mean, I really appreciate that they were working with the budget they had. It was a little odd to see a 1980 movie that felt like 40s or 50s sci-fi yeah like it just felt so weirdly dated like the robot was so clearly a person in a costume with like <laughs> human amazing. Ar- i was like wow what are we doing here it was so peculiar but i really did enjoy it but because it, at times it felt like it was almost designed for kids like yeah. the way she would as she ran through glass which happened several times she would it was a cartoon cutout of her body yeah. in the glass when she goes through it and i'm like that's what <laughs> what, is, what are they doing with this it was so strange that was amazing and at the same time it falls back on these like just incredible Soviet ideological stalwarts. This is a movie about class oppression and economic exploitation. And the end of the movie, there is a bad guy and he's a capitalist money grubbing oxygen dealer. And he's he's gross and also incredibly ticklish. <laughs> you ha- We have to talk about the tickle. I just tickle part. when I saw this happen, I just was wondering, like, how many times could heroes in other films have defeated the villain if only they had tried tickling? Like, James Bond never has tried tickling any of his villains. Maybe he could have stopped them much earlier in the film. Likewise, maybe the Avengers just needed to tickle Thanos, and that would have stopped him from the snap. Like, You've it's got entirely, to ask yourself now. It's entirely Was Hans Gruber ticklish? <laughs> Was, right. Was Who else? Darth Vader ticklish? <laughs> the Emperor? Ticklish? There's clearly something missing from, <laughs> from this cinema. This is a sequence that, that happens. Uh, it happens quickly. The scientist is, uh, is, there is a confrontation yeah. with the capitalist bad the guy. The Turinchoks. Yeah. The Turinchoks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the ambassador, right? Ambassador right. Rakan yes. is, uh, is confronting Turinchoks and... <laughs> I gives him a tickle. I told you. I told you. I asked you. Did you get to the tickle part? And you said no. <laughs> and that delights me. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I just, I really, you said that, and I was yeah. like convinced that it was something that happened earlier in the film that you mistook for tickling because so many kind of odd relationship or kind of getting together moments happen early in the film while while yeah. Nia is at uh, Lebedev's uh, house, right. right? And so I was like, oh, maybe there was something in there that he mistook for tickling. But no, Rakan, when he's confronting the villain of the film toward the climax, he gives him a tickle, and that's pretty much it. Until uh, Torinchaks has his, his goon stab Rakan in yeah. the back. And, but they uh, say it out loud, and that's the part. Oh, you're ticklish. <laughs> and Turinchox rolls his head back and gives just this deep, open-mouth laugh at how ticklish she is. And this is the climax of the battle between the good guy and the bad guy, and it's a tickle fight. And it's amazing. <laughs> like, I cannot underscore how awesome this, like, 15 seconds of film is in this whole movie. <laughs> well, and it's emphasized not to—I I don't want to— I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to diminish. Uh, <laughs> I, I Go don't ahead, Andy. Diminish whatever. No, it's just, you know, Turinchox is also a dwarf. He's very short. And you don't realize this until at one point when he decides to confront Rakan, he jumps up from behind his desk onto his desk and he's still yeah. shorter than Rakan. And Rakan kind of takes a step back and looks at him like, oh, I had no idea. And so it was that moment that preceded the tickling that I, it's just like all of that kind of came at one time. And it was just, it was, it's like, it's you know, lot. it's like the throwing the dwarf scene in yeah. Lord of the Rings. It's, it's like yeah. very peculiar. Well, it is. And it, it goes back to that. Um, there is, I, I think, a, a a Soviet, like this, this fits as part of the Soviet fear of the unknown and the different and like it's it's i don't i don't think that 40s 50s 60s 70s soviet union was a great place for little people right anybody with any sort of of physical difference um, sure was yeah. misunderstood and that's kind of what you see in this movie and when he jumps up on the desk and says you haven't seen me before have you right like mm -hmm. he's recognizing that there's this shock and he's wielding it he's using it yeah um and and you can tell that's kind of part of his part of his power is that that he is misunderstood constantly right right, right. and and that's what i'm what I'm sort of sucking out of of the the heart of this movie as I watch it, because w the way it's displayed on film is funny, but I don't I don't think they intended it to be funny. I certainly don't think it was meant as a comic moment in the the source material. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. I mean, I know Kir Bulyachev, the uh, the author of this uh, script, has. I mean, he's a very uh, very popular Soviet Russian uh, sci-fi. Writer, writer, yeah, um, who has done? I think, I think he's had more projects uh, adapted for film, TV, or animation uh, more than any other Russian sci-fi author. And I, I in, in fact, he, I mean, he, he's a lot of stuff that he's written has been um, children. Like he has this whole children's science fiction series called Elisa Selizneva, which. Um, apparently is hugely popular. So I can't help but feel like some of his, the tone that he would write, I don't think that they specifically intended this to be a science fiction film for children, but I can't help but feel like some of his, the way that he approached things 
have that feel to them just mm-hmm. by nature. And so it just, it, when you when you get to the bad guy and you tickle him, the cartoon cutouts, a lot of these elements just feel something that you would get in a film that's more aimed at children. Yeah, you definitely do. I, I was looking for, because this was based on his book, uh, right? He, he had adapted his own book, I think? He, he, he wrote the script. It, from what I read, it was actually not a book that he wrote, but it was oh. uh, an original script that he wrote. Okay. But it was, that but it was, was unclear his to me. Uh, yeah, it was unclear to me too because I kept looking, trying to find it. But everything that yeah, I, I can't. I find a lot of his stuff in Amazon that you can get. Some of it's you know some uh, apparently good translations. Red Star Tales, uh, collected works, Earth and Elsewhere, Best of Soviet Science Fiction, uh, Roadside Picnic. Oh, that's yeah. a Strugatsky uh, bit. But anyway, there are some some good compilations with some of his material in there i haven't read any of his stuff so it's it's hard to say but i would love to this is one of those stories that because of the way this movie was treated i think i would like to to see it i would like to read it and and kind of explore what his intention was it'd be uh, something curious for sure yeah yeah i did like the way they did some of the science uh, they the kind of the the special effects throughout the film. I thought that was kind of interesting, especially as it comes to Nia and her powers. Like there was a scene earlier on when she's terrified of walking across the grass and it's almost like this semi-levitated run that she has over the grass, which was kind of really clever the way they handled that. Also remind reminiscent of the way the aliens skimmed across the ground at the end of, of a dead mountaineer. Right. Yeah, exactly. The way that she freezes the watermelon in front of her and then blows it up, like I already That's brought awesome. up the cartoon cutouts. Uh, she teleports, which is kind of handled interestingly. She pushes that guy away when he comes up and touching touches her. There was a, just a lot of really interesting elements that she did that I thought were interesting, the way that they handled creating those moments. What'd you think of the blob? The blob was, okay, so the biomass, the whole thing at the end, I found that to be very... It was an interesting element that they added. I just don't think it ever worked quite right for me. I actually loved the look of it. The fact that they had some people in it, like reaching out these these arms clearly in like some yeah. sort of a sleeve sort of thing, made it look really creepy. And I thought it actually I thought was, it was great. Yeah, it was yes. very effective. But I didn't fully understand it because, okay, so here's my recollection of the scene when we have Rakan after he's been stabbed he has this vision of himself with um with the father whatever his name was who uh glan it was glan right mm-hmm. who shows him where it is and my recollection is glan is like all it needs is a brain you know it needs to have a brain introduced to it so that it can it, it can become more, uh, become what I want it to, or whatever it was. And so I, my impression, and maybe I just misunderstood, but I thought that Rakan was like throwing himself into it to give it the brain that it needed so that it could kind of move on to its next phase and uh, kind of help save the world. And I, I guess I was confused as to why all of a sudden it just goes mad and starts like destroying everything and, and, and eating everybody. I just didn't understand any of that. Yeah, I I didn't either and I that's exactly the story I wanted. Yeah. I wanted him to sacrifice himself and become that or alternately there is a a you know a horizon out there where it actually grabs Turinchoks and becomes the the a sort of maniacal uh 
planet-destroying thing. Either way, the biomass to me was supposed to be the Genesis device, right? It was supposed to be Basically. the cleansing agent. Yeah, right. Right? And, uh, it, and it never played out quite right. First, it just absorbs everyone in its path. Yep. It does break the connection, apparently, once and for all for Nia, making her that complete individual. Yeah. So she reaches her fullest form. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we don't actually get any sort of rewarding display of a fixed planet. Right. We, we know it's out there, but, you know, we, we have only that that last little bit where they show the blue sky and that's their experimental area. But then this biomass goes crazy. And is the planet really fixed? I was never convinced that they actually finished, solved the problem. I, I didn't, that wasn't clear to me. I, I thought, I, th I guess I thought it was more clear. It was just weird the way that it worked yeah. because she holds it back, but then everybody kind of contributes. And it's, it's almost like, okay, what are they doing? Are they molding the biomass? Because mm -hmm. it seems like everybody's kind of reaching in and they push it in and form it into a ball, which I was like, okay, is that representative of the world? And now it's healthy because yeah. all of a sudden it's just gone. And now it, because they show the ground and you see lots of little baby trees yeah, like, sprouting true. up. That's true. And so that's like, okay, so they, they healed the planet and now it's growing things again. The sky is blue. We're back to normal, but it was. And Nia's home where she belongs right. with her people. Yeah. And her people are somehow mended. They're fixed. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, right. I mean, I guess because there were there were an awful lot of people who had, you know, horrific deformities. Right. And they're wearing all those funky masks. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that was that was just an uncertain display for me. I, I feel like there were a lot of elements that were going in there. And I guess I, I uh, you're right. Uh, in retrospect, I, I guess the planet was fixed. And, yeah, or at yeah. least it was in a position to begin growth anew. Yeah, I felt like it was the cleansing rain at the end of Lion King, right? Like they, they got <laughs> yes, rid of exactly they it. got rid of the blob. The blob helped heal the yeah. planet, and now the sky is clear, and there's growth coming out of the ground again. And right, right. everything is hunky dory. I, I think it was just they they suffered from low budget special effects. They had to do all this with what they had, and so yeah. to that end, it's just you know we're ending up having to put a lot of interpretation into what we're seeing and it just makes it a little a little more challenging trying to figure it out yeah i think it yep. works it's just it's just rough you do, i don't think you said what do you have a preference over which version of the movies you watched you know i i mean i definitely do agree that the newer version the sound mix is cleaner like they the the new music mix and everything it sounds nice but honestly like the old version also looks really crisp and clean the effects maybe aren't quite as nice but honestly it still looks really good i thought they did a great job with it and i think if i were to watch it again i would just stick with the longer one you know it had more moments of just allowing the scenes to be um that i i think that i know they shortened a lot of those scenes but in doing so i don't think it helped make it feel faster i just you know i just i i think that i'd probably just stick with the longer one uh well i i only watched the the shorter one and um i i don't have the benefit of that both of the versions are available on youtube again thank you uncertain copyright jurisdiction <laughs> um, right and they don't appear to be going anywhere so uh, if you're interested we'll put links to both in the show notes yeah anybody else you want to talk about i will just say i really liked yelena met yolkina yes who played nia 
I thought she had a great, great face to be an alien or a clone. Or she, you know what? I felt like like she was the inspiration for Alita Battle Angel character design. You know what I mean? Like her face was just so wide and like big and in in its neutral expression, there was so much expression. There was just so much to her not doing anything. Right, right. I loved it. With those dark, like just the the bags under her eyes, just kind of giving her that that tired look with the the white wig that seemed to be, well, white hair, I should say, but it seemed to be a wig, I guess, because you see her putting that same wig piece on an infant with her dad at one point. Like the Lego hair. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, what is that strange little thing i don't know but i I loved the way that she i loved the way she reacted like she felt like an alien like the way that she would push at things to like you know push away things like with two hands in front kind of crossed and stuff like she did some really cool things that just felt very unique and i uh i just really liked her as the lead of this film i just thought she carried it really well yeah me too and I'll say, I liked Vladimir Fyodorov, who played Turin Chalks. I thought he was a great villain. Yeah, he was great. Uh, you know, I think, I actually think everybody was uh, in here. I didn't have any performance in here that I, I thought came up short, you know, from no, yeah. uh, Lebedev, who, I, I mean, it's just, there's to, I, it's hard to watch this movie and not find the comparisons to Star Trek, right? I mean, I, I just like the the way the ship moves through, um, you know, uh, through space and the the father son kind of parallel uh you know the to Kirk and David and I, it's just there are a lot of of parallels that are that are sort of unfolding in this movie but yeah. it, in each of those sort of stereotype roles i think everybody did great and i actually i i didn't like uh Stepan Levedev when we started but by the end of the movie i actually really had come to to like him and and uh, appreciate kind of his relationship with with her I thought that diving scene was sort of interminable. Like I, I needed, I didn't understand all the mechanics that were going on there that were between the relationships. And I just found them all, everyone annoying. (laughs) Uh, But, but it's, it, it moved positively from there. Yeah. I I mean, there were, it it has its issues. I mean, it really does have them Mm -hmm. throughout, but uh, largely I found it to be interesting. I I will say the music, Alexei Rabinikov, I Mm -hmm. thought, I just, I really enjoyed the music in the film. It had a a great kind of 80s sci-fi vibe that worked exceptionally for me. I, uh, looking at our notes here, I just want to highlight that we uh, will not be talking about facts and or tidbits sequels and or remakes awards or numbers because you have written in that really just perfect andy nelson brevity no to every one of them that's right no no <laughs> I no like no I was being, like i would be punished if i had you walk through each one there's nothing nowhere anyhow moving on that's right i love to have information about any of yeah. that stuff but uh alas uh, i do i'm not. still i i'm still glad we watched this movie it was not oh, the yeah. greatest movie it's not a five star and a heart for me uh but but I'm really glad we watched it. And I think we should uh, I think we should take it to the mat. I think we should. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've ever talked about on this very show. Uh, but if you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flick chart, it'll take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours.
Okay, first up, we have To the Stars by Hard Ways or La Caja Fall. Uh, La Caja Fall. La Caja Fall. To the Stars by Hard Ways or Stripes. I'd like you to go first. I'll say Stripes. Yes, you will. Thank you. <laughs> to the Stars by Hard Ways or Gone with the Wind. I, I'm going to go To the Stars. I got to go Gone with the Wind. It's a problematic film, but I just think that there's... I'll, I'll give it to you, but yeah. I my the record is I know the record is recorded. I know. There. To the stars by Hardways are next Friday. Oh, man, I'm going to say to the stars here. Yeah, I would to the stars. To the stars or, or the blob. We didn't no, even talk blob. about the octopus person. I know. Oh, Andy. Uh, okay, table that for a second. I, I love I'm that the octopus guy. Yeah, you're the blob. I'm the blob. Yeah. yeah. To the stars by Hardways. Or the Andromeda strain. The Andromeda strain. Talk about retro. (laughs) To the stars by hard ways or cries and whispers. Cries and whispers. I'll take cries and whispers. To the stars by hard ways or underworld awakening. Underworld awakening. (sighs) Yeah. Underworld awakening. (laughs) That's to the stars by hard ways or Friday after next. Uh, Friday after next. I'll take Friday after next. Well, that lands it in spot 457, 457 on our chart out of 487. Pretty low. That's only a 6%. 6%. Andy. I know. Uh, how to do on your list? Did it crest 6%? Well, Pete, it landed in spot 3969 on my chart. 3969 out of 4,541 movies, which is about a 13%. A little bit higher. All right. 13% a little higher. I actually was higher than that. I came out at uh, 1,075 out of 1,483. That's one and a half stars, or 28%. Uh, if I go over to letterbox.com slash the next reel, yeah, one and a half stars feels about right to me. So I I, I don't know. I mean, I it, it's not a zero half star, one star no, movie. No, no. I think there are some no. things inter- interesting in it. I, I actually question if I could go to two stars. I'm at two stars. I think there's enough interesting stuff in here to think about, to talk about, to enjoy. I think there are some really interesting elements in the film. It's just a, it's, it's sloppily constructed, but I did find it to be uh, enjoyable. I was never bored. Um, It's just, it's just a a little bit of a mess, but as like, there are so many enjoyable pieces. So two stars, no hard for me, but two stars. You know, I'm okay with that. Let's just do two stars straight across the board. I'm not going to watch it again. I didn't love it. I had a good time watching it. And I think there's enough in here that you can watch it without making fun of it if you want to. Here, here. That should have been on the poster. (laughs) (laughs) You could watch this without making fun of it if you want to. Pete. I love it. Cool. Well. Nice work. So this is the, this was the the middle of our uh, Soviet science fiction series. Where do we go from here? We're going to be jumping forward a few years to a film from 1988 called City Zero, directed by Karen Shaknazarov, which is another one that I've never heard of. But I'm also curious to look at this one, especially now that it's 1988 and it's getting right to the very end of everything going on in the Soviet regime. I think there's there's some stuff. I think there's some stuff to talk about with this movie. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm excited to do so. 
Well, I'll tell you, I already have my letterbox review picked out for City Zero. Sorry for you to go <laughs> on that one. Ahead. I'm ready to go on that one. But until then, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. It really does. And that's, you can see something is different. Maybe, maybe we're going to be over here in Letterboxd for a little while. Maybe we're, maybe we're doing that. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I actually, so my, it was one and a half stars. I ended up with an unstarred review on Letterboxd that it, that, but, but I pick it. Because it seems to be tonally positive, and it brings up yet another thing we did not talk about in our review. Okay, All exciting. Right. Uh, would you Would you like to go first? You go uh, high sure. or low? I, I went okay. to three and a half stars, so a little right higher in the middle. A little okay. higher. A little yeah. higher. Mine was by Ashton Kinley, uh, a recent watch from uh, earlier, from about a year ago who watched it as part of a Soviet sci-fi double feature at the Canadian Center for Architecture. There you go. As you do. Ashton says, this two-hour and 40-minute epic is full of some of the oddest moments on film that I have ever seen. And I've seen cats. There's Glasha, <laughs> the bulky house household robot maid, who also plays tennis. There's Krull, the octopus-like creature who is deathly afraid of cats and love, loves bubblegum and gets unceremoniously tossed into his home planet's ocean in one of the funniest scenes of the film. <laughs> and most importantly, there's Nia, the Sinead O'Connor-esque clone who is literally so iconic that every single person she encounters is willing to put their life on the line for her. It's truly a remarkably bizarre film, but a blast to see with a crowd. Yeah, I get I can get that. I, yeah. I think this might be it's weird that we might come to this movie as the reason that movie theaters should stay in business. <laughs> right. Sorry, Tenet. You just didn't have what to the stars by Hardways had. I uh, my review comes from Meme, who says there's a lot going on that was pretty unnecessary, and I know I was watching with terrible translation and all, but it was somewhat enjoyable because the plot and conflicts were actually interesting and intense. I enjoyed all the characters except the octopus. Like, what was even the purpose? But my favorite had to be unexplained spaceship kitty. Mm. <laughs> There's a cat on the ship. I love Who that. You kind of get to it, gum. and we didn't talk about the, <laughs> the, the octopus, but that review nailed it. One of the funniest scenes in the movie. So weird. throwing the octopus overboard. <laughs> and what was he making? Like its meal, just like he'd crack the egg and pour it in, and then drop the shells in too. Drop the shell <laughs> in and stir it up. <laughs> okay. Ah, oh, good times. Thanks, Letterbox. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. 
The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today. 